Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you this week. Uh, We're going to continue our series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, looking through the Beatitudes. So I invite you, if you want to follow along, I'm sure the words are on the screen, but if you want to use your hard copy or your phone, uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace seems to be the thing the world craves the most, but has the least. Imagine that this week, in the last couple of weeks, the residents of Lewiston, Maine, are wondering if peace exists anymore. Lewiston, Maine, of course, was the site of America's most recent mass shooting. But they're not alone in searching for peace. Imagine there are many people in Israel or Gaza or even Ukraine this morning that are wondering if peace is just a figment of someone's imagination or is it real? And they're wondering if peace will ever come to a place like theirs. But peace is also desired even within families. Did you notice that? There are husbands and wives out there that are longing to return to that season of their life not long after they first met, before the fighting began. There are children who are living in homes and they go to bed at night and wake up in the morning wondering if a day will go by when they don't hear mom and dad yelling at each other. There are parents, maybe in this room, that are longing to return to those moments earlier in their lives when they had that special relationship with their children. And those days seem like an afterthought today. There are even congregations of the church that are looking for peace. Everyone wants peace. But it seems as if there is so little of it to go around. You know, the Bible is filled with passages about peace. In fact, the word peace is found over 300 times in Scripture. And in many of those occasions, it's God, God's self, talking about God's desire for peace in this world. Here's just a handful of those passages. Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Then there's that moment in the book of Judges where God is with Gideon. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, the Lord is peace. Psalm 29, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Psalm 122, pray for peace of Jerusalem. There is a prayer to be prayed in our own times, is it not? May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be with you. And if those passages aren't enough, just consider the many times in which Jesus himself discusses peace throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter 5, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Luke 24, peace be with you. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. John chapter 20, and again Jesus said, peace be with you. And then there's this one in Mark chapter 9. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here's my question, church. How is that possible? I, like many of you, have been coming to places like this for as long as I can remember. My earliest memories, some of them are sitting in a room like this one. And not long after I learned to read, I began reading this book. I remember sitting with my mom when I was a small child, and I would, I would sound out the words. This, is, this was a, a, the book, the tool that I used to learn how to read. I've been reading this for a very long time, and many of you have as well. And I have to confess to you that when I read texts like this one, my mind is spinning because I don't understand. How in the world can we at the same time bring salt into the world and create peace? Those two things seem mutually exclusive. Because bringing salt in the world implies some things. It implies change. It implies challenging the norm. It implies cutting against the grain and doing something different to bring flavor and something different in the world. But the way that we conceive of peace, at least in our time, is very different. It's an absence of conflict. Everybody gets along Nobody says an unkind thing to one another. I don't know how to reconcile those two things. And the longer I worked in ministry as I grew up, and the more passages like this one just did not make sense to me at all. To bring salt into the world implies to challenge the norm, and that, that brings chaos, not peace. How can we both season the world and have peace? Over the years of studying Scripture, I learned something. 
And you probably learned it much earlier than I did. Did you know that peace does not mean the absence of conflict? At least from a biblical standpoint. I know that's the way that we sometimes define peace in our world. That's the definition we give it. But if you read in Scripture, that's not what it means at all. In fact, sometimes it means almost the opposite of that. And I know that because it is impossible to bring salt into the world and avoid conflict. You just can't do it. And Scripture bears witness to this over and over and over again. As much as the Bible speaks about peace, there sure is a lot of conflict in Scripture. Have you ever noticed that? And what's more, God seems to talk a lot about peace, but if you haven't noticed, God initiates a lot of that conflict. Have you noticed that? So peace must mean something else. And maybe we should allow Scripture to redefine this term for us this morning. When I think about peace in Scripture, I think about the Old Testament prophets. Think about Jesus. These people that are at the heart of God, these people that are attempting to transform the world more and more into the image and the creation of God. And yet these are people that are just surrounded by conflict and chaos all of the time. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10? Listen to these words. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but rather a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is, is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. You know, for someone who spoke so much about peace, Jesus sure did speak a lot about conflict. So what is peace if it's not the absence of conflict? Well, in order to understand this in, in a biblical standpoint, I think you have to remember something about Jesus. We know this about Jesus, but sometimes we forget it or we set it aside. And here it is. Jesus was a Jew. You have to understand that with this concept of peace. The Jewish word, the Hebrew word for peace, as we know, is shalom. And this is more than just a word. It was a concept. It was a worldview. This Jewish word, this Hebrew word shalom, implies wholeness completeness. And really, if you were to define it even further, it describes a world where things are as they should be. Wouldn't you love to live in a world like that? A world where things are as they should be. Where people treat one another well. Where we love each other. Where we don't speak unharshly to one another, where justice reigns. Church, I need you to understand that's the world that God always wanted for us. 
That's the world that God created for us in the very beginning. And then things quickly went south. And since that moment, there have been efforts, the efforts of God to try to reconcile this world, to bring peace once again, to bring shalom, to create a world where things are as they should be. So what that means is that God does not necessarily desire for you to have a conflict-free life. What God really wants is for us to live in a world where things are as they should be, where justice wins over injustice, where, where husbands and wives stay together, where children grow up in loving homes with loving, committed parents who love them and who love each other, where the world's leaders can settle their conflicts at the table instead of on the battlefield. That's the kind of world that God envisioned for us. That's what God has always wanted for us. So let's come back full circle. What does this mean here in the Beatitude? Why does Jesus say this? Of all the things God can include in this list, in the Sermon on the Mount, why this mentioning of peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why does he say that these people will be called children of God? I think it's because God understands that the life of a peacemaker is a very difficult life. It's a life fraught with chaos. It's a life filled with difficulty and struggle. A peacemaker's life is not easy. And so I think the reason that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God, is to remind the peacemakers of the world, I see you. You are loved. You are not alone. You are my children. And that's a message that peacemakers desperately need to hear, and they do not hear nearly often enough. Think of the people in our world who have dedicated their lives to bringing peace in the fullest sense of that word. I think, for example, of Old Testament prophets. We read the stories about them, and boy, they, were, they lived crazy lives. They were not popular people. Like a lot of peacemakers in the world, we read about them now centuries later and we say, well, those are wonderful people and we put them on a pedestal and we respect them, we remember them, we honor them. But what was, like, what was life like for them in their own time? Oh, these people were persecuted. They were marginalized. They were ignored. Many of them were killed. I think about people in our own time, more modern times, that we could call peacemakers. I think of someone like Nelson Mandela. Many of you know the name Nelson Mandela, who was responsible, among others, for the end of apartheid in South Africa. And on his way to freeing South Africa from apartheid, he spent 27 years in prison. And many of those years he spent in prison, he spent in solitary confinement. Life was difficult for him. And why was he doing all this? He was trying to create a world where things are as they should be. He was a peacemaker. And like a lot of peacemakers, 
We remember him, <laughs> and we put him on a pedestal, and we honor him, and we respect him. You know what life was like for him when he lived? It was incredibly difficult. It included struggle and persecution and prison. When I think of our own time, I think of people like Martin Luther King Jr. or Winston Churchill or Mother Teresa. These are the people that appear on just about every list of those most admired people. And no matter which list you're looking at, these are the people that are on those lists. And we remember them and we honor them and we respect them and we hold them up as exemplars for people to follow. Do you remember what life was like for them when they lived? It was difficult. It was a struggle. There was persecution. There were even assassinations. What were they doing? They were, they were trying to create a world where things were as they should be. They were peacemakers. This is Veterans Day, or Veterans Day weekend. And it reminds me that our culture is well aware of the concept of finding peace on the other side of struggle, peace that comes on the other side of conflict. All of these people that we're talking about, that we're remembering, they all had something in common. They instigated conflict in order to bring about peace. And that's something I think is, is foreign to our mind, foreign to our understanding of what peace is or the way we treat peace in our world. In this room, we surely remember the quintessential example of peace. Jesus came to bring the ultimate peace to our world. But he often brought that peace by inciting extreme conflict. Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his day to their face in open public because they were barriers to peace. Jesus initiated conflict to bring about peace. And you know what? I don't think Jesus loved conflict. <laughs> I don't think he went looking for it. I don't know that there are many people in the world that love conflict. Maybe there are a few, but I've not met many of them. But Jesus modeled for us something really, really important, church. There are some things in this life that are worth conflict. And we need to remember that. One of those things is peace. Real peace. Genuine peace. God's justice in the world. Setting things right partnering with God and bringing shalom into this place. And we need to remember there is a peace that only comes on the other side of conflict. And that's the kind of peace that fills the pages of Scripture. God has longed for us to live in a world that regularly experiences that kind of peace. So as I wonder, as we consider all of these things, where is God calling us to bring peace in the world? Or maybe more pointedly, where is God calling you to bring peace into this world? 
As you look around, do you notice places where things are not as they should be? Do you see those places in your world? Where's the injustice around you? Where are the oppressed? Where is the brokenness? I'm sure that the conflicts that are on the other side of the world are fresh and at the front of many of our minds right now. The things happening in Israel and Gaza, the things happening in Ukraine. And it's probably the case that not many of us in this room will have a hand in fixing any of those things. It's going to be very difficult for anybody in this room to really engage that at a personal level and move that situation toward peace. But there are other things we can do. Let me ask you, are you willing to go through the kind of conflict that is required to save your marriage? That can get really messy, very difficult, a lot of pain involved in those moments. But there's a peace that's on the other side of that conflict. Maybe you're here this morning and you are estranged from your children. (laughs) Life happened. Years went by. And you long for the days when things were good. Are you willing to engage that situation again and initiate the conflict, recognizing there's a peace that can only come on the other side of that conflict? Where do you see the need for peace in the world? Maybe you're estranged from God, and there's difficult work. It's painful sometimes to work on reconciling ourselves with God. Are you willing to do that? Is now the time that you're willing to search for the kind of peace that can only come on the other side of that conflict? You know, a peacemaker is not someone who sees all of those things and walks away, hoping that time will fix it, hoping that someone else will fix it, hoping to avoid conflict at any cost. A peacemaker is someone who stands up when everybody else sits down. A peacemaker is someone who walks in the footsteps of Jesus. So those places on the mountaintops, but also those places in the deep, deep valleys. My prayer for us this morning is God's church is that we would be a people that would leave this place and we would go with faithfulness and compassion and love and power and courage and deep humility, bringing peace to a world that is craving for and is desperately in need of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and for who you've called us to be. We thank you for the peace that you have brought to us and the glimpses of it that we catch every now and then, reminding us of what could be. God, I pray this morning for courage that you would 
empower the people in this room through the power of your spirit to do the difficult work of a peacemaker. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?